Hey, homie. Hey, homie. I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa, 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 rasa. This is the reality dysfunction. Maria Savala, I'm in uh, Decatur, Michigan. My name is Ernesto Morales. I'm in Prescott, Arizona. Francisco Lopez, Moreno Valley, California. Uh, Carolina Sanchez in Redlands, California. Cecilia Oliveira in Detroit, Michigan. Hi, this is Ryan Delgado. I'm in uh, Saginaw, Michigan, although I'm a resident of Lansing. Alex Lozada, hailing from the East Coast. Carlos Hernandez, coming to you from San Antonio, Texas. Dan Sosa, coming to you from Saginaw, Michigan. So this is Alex Lozada, coming to you from this week in New Jersey, and we're going to talk this week about the RNC, the Republican National Convention. I'd like for us to start talking about what a shit show it was and the ridiculousness of the things that we heard. And I have to give a shout out to Mother Jones for posting on Twitter that short of that woman talking about the immigrant from Puerto Rico with the music in the background. And Reiner, you posted that. How'd you find that? It scrolled up in my feed because uh, not only, quote, Latinos, but uh, there's some uh, uh, folks throughout. Well, it was posted on Mother Jones, you know, so so it got picked up by some, quote, liberal friends of mine. And uh, I just stumbled across it. And I was like, you know what? That's right. She is. Uh, her mom is from Puerto Rico. And if her mom uh, is descended from the Taino, then she's been, quote, an American. Because what she said was she first generation American. She didn't say citizen. So she's probably been a, quote, American for uh, millennia. So there you go. Isn't she like one of the Trump dude's girlfriend or something? The son with the dark hair. She was the ultra, you know, why he got divorced because he got some of that sunshine. The one that really looks like a crackhead? She's she's his his girlfriend. The one who uh, looked coked up. Yeah, dude totally looks like he's like got that Miami Vice thing going on from like the late 80s yeah they both have that slick back hair slick yeah hair yeah she was she was also apparently married to gavin newsom oh yeah i remember that or not remember that but i remember seeing it wow that's interesting i agree with you on that carlos i mean i think that's so interesting that here we have you know somebody speaking at the republican national convention who was married to the current governor of California, one of the most left-leaning states, right, or the opposing states in the nation. I think that speaks volumes. And maybe does that speak on how it's really a one-party system, right? For full disclosure for everybody that's listening, I, I did not watch every minute of the Republican National Convention. How could um, you? Well, I mean, there there's that, right? Exactly. I mean, how could you? Exactly. But, You're reasonably sane right now right i mean not not totally but you know no never totally to your point right so i didn't really like todd i i just couldn't right i just looked at some of the stuff that we were all texting about some highlights from my twitter feed but al was watching it and he would come to me and be like can you believe this is on right and they had every person of color who must have been a republican in the caucus like on tv right they had a swearing-in ceremony. I don't know if you saw that. And I'm like, what a charade. It was, it was really appalling. It was insulting. 
you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody else saw well, some of that. I was a little disturbed yesterday and I, I, you know, I sent out these posts on Facebook that don't really apply any context. Just me going, what the hell is this? When they open it up with quote the prayer, you know, and it's a, it's a quote, I'll call her Hispanic uh, evangelical, you know, and she's just, you know, I was just like, really, can I just have some bleach for my ears? Cause you know, it was, bringing down the blessings and all this and that and the other. And I'm like, Oh Lord, help me. Is that the lady who thinks there should be a book of Trump in the Bible? No, I don't think that's the one. Uh, That's the, uh, that's the wife of Adelson, the publisher uh, who he gave her the, like the medal of freedom, the blonde quote, the article that I saw called her a uh, Israeli American hyphen American. So. Okay. For as much as we all hated it though, that's how much his base loved it. Yeah. And that's how much talking points it gave his base, how much it gave him that, hey, see, they're swearing Im- immigrants right there. You know, see, he is going to protect our guns. You know, as much as I hated it, as much as we all hated it and thought it was vile, he was right on point with exactly what they needed to convey to their base to fire them up, yeah. which is the entire point of these things. You know, I mean, that's honestly, you know, put, put yourself in their shoes. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant, especially in terms of the people of color that they put up there. I mean, it lets them say everything that they want to say. As much as I disagree with it, it it was right on point. The things that I saw were so dystopic. It was like, they're coming for you. They're attacking us, not only immigrants, but leftists. You know, it was playing onto all these fears that historically, you know, both parties have used i saw something on someone's instagram or twitter or something but it was almost an exact copy of the the willie fortin ad of mm-hmm. just donald trump using it and it's yeah. like crazy that like you know we are living in a scary world there is a ton of protest and unrest and a pandemic and stuff but the world they're talking about is so foreign to me like in the dystopia that they're talking about is so like you know how scary to be a part of that group that thinks that i'm glad you brought that up because that was the willie horton ads were the michael dukakis campaign right and look at the lead dukakis had going into the same point versus the lead biden has right now i think dukakis had a bigger lead I want to say it was the biggest lead anybody ever had at those that at this point in the election process, yeah. and those Willie Horton ads flipped the election that uh, badly that he lost. It wasn't yeah, well, one one sec. The Willie Horton ads were devastating, but it wasn't just the Willie Horton ads. No, that ad with him. Oh no, with a hat, <laughs> yeah. hat on. Yeah, I mean, I remember right. that, and I was like, "Damn, he looks stupid." You know, I mean, he just looked like a little. <laughs> Like a little kid there, you know, with that big ass tanker hat on. I think that yeah, really, right, yeah, that was it, was, it was more than the yeah. in the Abrams, yeah, yeah, yeah. That but that awesome. definitely didn't help. But it wasn't just that thing. No, yeah. But that, I mean, let's look at that. Let's look at. I mean, the the Republicans. I mean, and the Democrats too. But the Republicans have really just sharpened it and have been going back to Nixon. Have always used that fear. I've always used that fear against, uh, you know, black people, brown people, the damn druggy hippies, the damn communists, you know, they've, they've always done that. The thing that was interesting to me, and I, again, like 
like Alex and, and Ernesto had said, like, I couldn't stomach watching all of it. It got to a point to where I would have to, like, take it in doses. I'm like, I've seen five minutes, and I feel like I got to go take a shower, you know, because it was, like, you know, just disgusting. But I did see how that's all they got. I mean, every time they would start hitting on a theme, it was always about the socialist, uh, uh, the China virus, the, you know, the immigrant other. I mean, just that's all they had to sell was constant. But to Daniel's point, I think I think it's true, man. Like as much as disgusting it is to us, there's that demographic and that population out that eats this up. I mean, that that's what they want to hear. That's that's what they fear in the world, and they're being told, we're going to keep you, we're, the, we're the, the, the protector, we're the wall against what you fear the most in this world. And, and it worked. Carolina, to your, to your point with this whole dystopian, like, fear-mongering perspective, like, there was just as much, like, contradictory, you know, talk about this Trump utopia and all the great things that Donald Trump has, has done. And I was watching it in the, in the background while I was working today just to, like, prepare a little bit for today. And there was that point where I just had to, like, stop and just look up and be like, what world are they living in where, where Donald Trump has done all of these amazing things for people of color, for the economy, um, for, you know, this, this health crisis we're going through. It was, it was obscene. Well, he, yeah. he he took action uh, apparently right away. He acted decisively. Yeah, that was hilarious. I'm, I'm like, oh well, in between the rallies and golf, or or when, you know? Yeah, and so it know, really makes me wonder. Like, these people are stupid, right? So is it? Oh, maybe they is are. Is it some political agenda that they secretly have in order to, you know, escalate their careers? Do they really believe in Donald Trump? Like, when I hear that stuff, and like, I know you're not stupid. So do you really believe in this image, this person of Donald Trump that he's going to save us or save you and do all these things for you or that he has done? So when I see the black people up there and I'm like, are you nuts? I see the brown people. There was someone, Lieutenant Governor from Florida. I think she's Colombian. I was so embarrassed. And she's like, he's done all these great things in Florida. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, maybe they're just really mentally disabled. Maybe they're just really able to compartmentalize, you know, uh, that's the only thing I can figure because I think that we're underestimating the power of uh, history and white supremacy. I mean, I, I think that there, there's another there's a, there's another piece to this. Like we think about like, oh, what country do these people live in? But let's like flip it around and, and then let's answer it by saying, oh, they live in this country. You know, I mean, they live in a country that for 500 years has sought the systematic uh, genocide of the indigenous people that um, for two, 200, 300 years uh, systematically enslaved black people in this country for the entire life of this country has uh, sought the economic devastation of other groups, of groups other than, than white men. I mean, there's a lot of pretty words that float around this country, but those pretty words are really held up by some, you know, horrific and barbaric legacies, right? So, I think that for us, one of the things that we have to do is we have to recognize and, and never forget that these people are actually not anomalies. They are the people who built this country and they built it with that attitude, right? They're the ones that, that stole Texas. They're the ones that killed the Indians. They're the ones that, uh, you know, enslaved black people. I mean, that's, that's who those people are. Their history, their presence here is much longer and much deeper 
than the one that that we have in well in terms of that particular thing and like I get it to a point because we were just talking last week about like the pandering and like the non-action of the Democratic Party and if we look at who's in in power and what the main like ideology right now is within the Democratic Party like yeah it's it's far from great but like it was just so insulting to the point where it's just like you're basically stating that the everyday citizen and what their you know their experience is with being oppressed as a person of color like you're basically just calling it completely invalid like Donald Trump could not possibly exist and like these experiences like don't happen like they don't exist in this country no I was just saying you know during the pandemic all billionaires millionaires are just like quadrupling you know their salaries whatever they make however they're measuring their wealth right apple doubled what their value is right and jeff bezos right so if i'm regardless of how i identify if i'm a wealthy person do i just not care and be like well i'm making money i'm doubling what i got I'm securing my space as a wealthy person and, and my status in society. Do I just not care? Agreed 100% with all the comments being said. And, you know, as I watched or listened to highlights of this uh, convention, um, you know, the, the feeling that I was left with was that, you know, they're master manipulators and they have their game plan down. And that's something that I think uh, Cecilia just pointed out, you know, the Democratic Convention did not have that hardcore unity. Whether you agree or disagree with them, you know, they had their game plan down. And yes, they're, they're going on a picture that has been presented across the world, that there is no better country than this country. And how can you possibly begin to oppose that? And because of they have this, this thought, you know, this belief, this faith, it makes them that, it provides them that much power. And what I found very interesting is if you heard uh, the Clippers coach uh, yesterday, what's his name? Uh, Doc Rivers, right? And, you know, he was talking about the murder of uh, Blake in Wisconsin. And, you know, he, he was saying, you know, we're tired of this. How do we, you, we expect us to continue to believe in this nation and in this dream? Nobody, that's, to me, at least it seems that's something that has not been, um, has carried such a space in media lately. You know, probably, maybe not even since Malcolm X. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, that nobody's willing to oppose that. How are you going to go against the red, white, and blue? Yeah, I see, like, a ton of people not only, like, quoting Malcolm X, but realizing that, like, you know, in this moment when we're seeing, like, you know, at least for my generation, from Michael Brown to the present moment, like, we've just seen example after example of this country not working for us. And the racism that we face and... Um, the comments that are made, especially like towards me in a white predominant space, when Donald Trump was first elected, like all like the racist BS that was thrown at me. And I'm like, you know, three generations 
living in this country. I think people, especially people of color, are beginning to realize that like not only are we getting more power with our growing demographic, but we're also realizing that like we can change some things. You know, we have not finally the space, but we have the drive coming off of all these murders and coming off of Donald Trump's just inability to bring any sort of unity, like racial unity into this country to go towards and be like, okay, well, like, you know, if this happens and if we voted for this person or we didn't vote for this person, but they got elected anyways, in a system that's rigged, in a system where he didn't win the majority vote or our vote doesn't mean one vote, then, you know, how can we change it? What can we do? And I think the protests and the action and the orgs that are being created right now to aid people and the community aid efforts for during the pandemic, like, I think all of that is a signal towards a changing time but also a changing mentality of like we can't rely on the government anymore this government isn't working for us and so the stuff that we've done usually as a community community building and you know aids and community refrigerators and all these kinds of like smaller things they're they're getting more popular and more mainstream because the government is failing a increasing amount of people agree with more like i went to work after the 2016 election, I think maybe I was like 19 years old and I had never talked to my co I worked at Dow as a security officer. I never talked to my coworkers once about like my political beliefs. And the first thing someone said to me in the morning was, well, your girl lost. And like all my coworkers eventually like getting to know me and know like how involved I was like in my community and the things I did like with politicizing, um, and then just to see all the comments about, like, when I, when I see my friends doing the same, like, get a job, like, you're just living off unemployment, like, you're lazy, like, no, these people are doing this on top of their jobs, like, and you guys are just, you know, sitting comfortably being complacent behind keyboards, and, and you don't have to do anything because this world works for you, like, you don't, ha we don't have that luxury. You know, if we look again at the Democratic Convention, you know, yeah, that world is made for a particular voter, the Democrats not allowing Latinos to have a greater presence, they were pa pandering, clearly pandering to a specific segment of Trump supporters that they hope to win over. And, you know, having watched both conventions now, I don't know, maybe Trump does have a chance. Maybe Trump is going to walk out a winner again. You know, not because he deserves it, not because we want him to be, you know, the future, but rather because there are, the opposition is unwilling to do their job, to truly oppose it. They rather just kind of, you know, bite at the edges. Imagine if the Democratic Convention had spoken with the passion that's being mocked. Uh, what's the girl's name, Kim G, I call her Kim G, right? Newsom's ex-wife, right? But where was that energy in the Democratic Convention? Not throwing in the towel, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Trump come out a winner. Again, just look at the postal, post office debacle. You know, they're truly dismantling the post office. And you know what? Business as usual, it just continues on. So I do not think that Donald Trump is going to win. When I think about that, it does 
make me want to hurl, right? So I just can't in my brain, I think, come to terms with him being in office once again. I, I do really believe we will all mobilize, that we will get out there, we're going to vote, right? I do believe there's going to be more Democratic senators that come in. There's going to be like people like Vanessa who will continue to win seats in their local, in our local communities. And I, I do think it's changing. Um, and it's not because our generation changed it. I think it's because the younger generation is changing it. I think if you look at everybody who's coming into office now and the ones who are the, the voice of democracy, so to speak, so to say, I think it is a younger generation. I think we lost our chance. I mean, I don't know if we were just building it up for, for the next generation to come. Um, but it, it, I do think that it's that change is a come in. Change comes slow. Change is hard. Uh, and I think we see that like happening. You know, Francisco, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think he's got more than a chance. I mean, do you really think that anybody that voted for him last time doesn't feel like it worked out for them? I mean, it worked out exactly how they wanted. You know, I mean, I don't really see anybody that voting voted for him four years ago not coming out to vote for him have, again. Have you what the Democratic seen the... Party... Go ahead, Spencer. What's that? No, 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 oh, go ahead. The I'm only just... thing they can really bank on is the people who didn't vote in 2016 coming on and then picking up numbers to vote for Biden. I mean, that's not, to me, that's not anywhere near a safe bet. Have you seen the Lincoln Project? Has anybody seen yeah. any of their stuff? So that's really interesting. Those are all Republicans, right? And there are organizations starting at Republicans for Biden, which I think is very interesting. I mean, it's the white women. Like, are white women going to come out and vote for Biden? There's a couple of things. One, Danny is absolutely right, at least in part of what he said. It's about base mobilization. I mean, any election just about is about base mobilization. And so, I mean, a big part of what we saw, especially in the Democratic uh, Party, was, you know, them trying to say, hey, you know, um, black people, we need you to get out and vote Um, because they're a lot more sure that black people will get out and vote in large numbers than uh, Latinos will get out and vote in large numbers. That's that's a safe that's a safer bet for them. I don't disagree. If I was calling that shot, that's the shot I would be calling. Especially if I was in charge of that campaign. I think that it's really important that we take a minute and think about how it is that we're talking about this, right? And that one of the ways that we continue to talk about this is that you know these are the choices that have been presented to us, and that's it you know, we've got to figure out a way to change this or we've got to figure out a way to fit into that. I think even in terms of thinking about how grassroots uh, communities are responding, I mean, grassroots communities always respond in times of trouble. That is not an indicator of political development. That is an indicator of of need, right? And so people respond to to other people's needs I think that part of the conversation that that we have to try to promote, because this is a conversation that that doesn't happen, is, you know, about or around political development. I mean, a large part of that has to do with us being able to acknowledge that we are not 
stuck in a Republican Democrat paradigm. We're not stuck in it. I mean, we're, we've placed ourselves in it and, and we won't, and we're refusing to move out of it, but we're not stuck in it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's, but, you know, that's important. But those words you use, political development, that's, that's the problem right there. Cause that means two different things to different people. Okay. Like political development to the way too many of our people is getting people out to vote. And that's, that's where it ends. Right. The party thing. Oh, he, um, he put it this way, and I thought it was pretty good. Why are people of color always the ones who have to rise up and um, morally separate themselves and defeat um, people like Donald Trump? Why isn't that on white people to do that? It's kind of a slippery slope because it really, it's on a case-by-case situation. We don't allow white people to do that a lot of times. We're like, sit down, white savior, I got this. And that happens. Like, I do believe that some people, they are very pandering. It can be very insulting. But a lot of times when I've seen white people, okay, even like in unity with people of color, like, God forbid a white person be in in one of those positions of leadership. And that's just like from a couple more recent experiences of mine. Um, like, it's not it's not on any one grouping of people, but we, we definitely like for people to stay in their lane even within our own race so yeah I think like going off what Danny and Cecilia said like we have to reframe racism and race as not a like burden onto people of color but onto a white people problem because it is like you know we are you know as Latinos descended from a very strict caste system that the Spaniards placed onto us but like it was also the Spaniards coming in and doing that. And that's the same thing within the United States. Like it's not like racism is a white people problem. I'm reading a book called A Different Mirror by Ronald Takake. And he talks about how when the Vikings came over um, as the first white settlers, they were relatively peaceful, but also like they left when things got like, when they knew that they were losing against the Native American tribes. But when the white people came over, they continued to fight and to talk. But when that, like, race narrative went back to England, they created a whole bunch of racist stereotypes of Native American people, which the majority of people hadn't even seen or didn't even know who they were. And so once we realized, I think, that racism to white people is their problem because they have to fix everything, you know, because like we can only have so much power. We only have so much power in a racist system, but white people have to check other white people in order to fix what's like the power dynamic. What comes to mind is uh, the art of war by Sun Tzu. You first divide and conquer, right? And so that was the first election. So they divided and he conquered. Not only did he conquer, he stole the election, right? And so one of the things that organizers, that voter rights, voter rights organizers, community organizers, anybody who's organizing around this new election has an, an additional thing to overcome is confusion. So they've caused so much confusion with the postal system coming down. Um, people here in Indicator, when I casted my vote for the primaries, I had to go to a person's house um, because that's where the... Um, the, the, the box was to drop off my ballot was, do you think that I trusted this white woman who's a Republican in this county 
it, that is um, obviously working from her house because of COVID. Well, she, no, not even because she's always worked from her home um, to properly submit my vote. Um, I don't think, I don't trust it, right? I still submit it. I still vote it. However, um, it was an absentee vote, but I still don't trust it. So a lot of people don't even understand there's with this uh, people pushing for um, uh, absentee ballots to be submitted. I don't trust those absentee ballots either. Um, I really think that there is four more years of Trump coming. And I think that we would need to prepare um, because it's so much confusion that these community organizers have to tackle. Um, and I don't know that we can overcome that. And even if we do, last call we were talking about the DNC, um, about the Electoral College. You know, how are we going to overcome the Electoral College if it comes to the same thing that last year came to? Um, Alex, I want to be really hopeful like you are. And I do I do uh, place my hope in youth. Um, I've always, my mantra is power to the people always but you know there is a lot of layers to overcome um, in this new election that I don't know that we're prepared for or we're tackling at all we're not you know talking about um, don't you know we don't even know what the proper way of voting is anymore mm -hmm. there's so much confusion y'all seem a little shook this week <laughs> <laughs> okay couple things couple things Number one, I, I also like the youth, but um, I spend a lot of time with them and I am acutely aware of their limitations, particularly when it comes to understanding political situations and how to deal with them. I think that it's very important that what we do as uh, maybe like an older generation is really understand how it is that we begin to build coalitions with younger generations because that seems to be a little bit of a problem. And, you know, I'll also say as a college professor and as somebody who, you know, does this on a daily basis, I don't think it's a one-way street in that one. I think that there are a lot of so-called youth who are very ageist and they have a very hard time listening to people who um, have an opinion, right? They have a hard time listening to someone's opinion who happens to be older than them. I think personally that that is a manifestation of social media um, because we're constantly sort of like always within our peer group. I think that that's, I think that that's a part of it. I think these are things that, that we have to really try to overcome. But if you look in history, the most successful movements are interge intergenerational movements. That's where we really need to be. I think the, the other thing is this. I think that this is a, a good conversation and I think it would be a great conversation for a future, a future podcast. I was really with what Cecilia was saying. I hear it too often, you know, like, Oh, somebody tell that white boy to, you know, to shut the fuck up and sit down. What does he know? Well, we don't know what he knows because nobody will let him fucking talk. You know what I'm saying? So like, maybe he actually knows something that the rest of us need to know. It's entirely possible. I understand what Carolina was saying when she's saying that racism is, you know, like that's white people's problem. It's their problem to overcome. But to say it's their problem in a way sort of intimates that it's not our problem. Now, it might not be our problem because maybe we're not racist in the sense that they are because of its power dynamics. But it's certainly our problem in the sense that we are the recipients of that racism. And so, you know, to think that through, I was just recently working with a group of organizers 
that are all Latino and they're part of a national organization. And they were dealing with these issues of all the leadership is white and everything like that. And so their sort of solution to this was to force the board members to write about their white privilege as white men, right? To sort of like confess it, you know, to confess their white privilege. Now, I will tell you flat out, I don't think that does jack shit to change any sort of situation. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. You know, I stole money. Big deal. You know, there are all kinds of things that I could admit all day long. They would not change the, the reality of that situation. We've got to be a little bit more sophisticated. And I think that we, again, I'm going to go back to this because I think that we have to allow ourselves the possibility that there are ways to build political structures that do not include dominant society or they do not include white supremacy or racism. I mean, I, I just think that there are. I believe that with 100%. I can't let go of that because if I did, then I would be, I would be in a very bad position. I will agree with like a lot of what you said, except for like, I think we all, young people who don't exactly have grasp of how system works, even, you know, at a smaller, I would say, especially at a smaller, more um, local level and what we can do um, individually, just as like civilians to, to make our political environment better. Um, and there are people, young people who don't want to listen to older people. But I can say very honestly that I have never felt fully supported by anyone who was maybe 10 years, more than 10 years older than me. You know, even in working in a Latino environment in Saginaw where many people don't have the education that I've been very, very blessed to, to pursue and like learn and the skills needed to, to operate organizations or to organize um, and to still have like to still often be put in my place. It wasn't until I really credentialized myself and like had dang near letters after my name where people started taking me seriously. And that will be the same throughout your whole entire journey in your life, especially professionally, right? I mean, I think for those of us who are of a certain age on this podcast, we, we realize that. You know, sometimes we're given a seat at the table and regardless of our credentials, people still don't listen to us, right? And for us Latinas on here, right, we have the whole mansplaining and the machista stuff to contend with as well, which let me tell you is problematic as a professional, right? Even in higher ed. And, you know, I just, I hear you guys talking about Trump, but I just, I can't. I can't in my heart and my little inner heart where I keep all my secret <laughs> hopes and dreams, right? I just, you, I can't, I can't, I, I, it's hard for me to rationalize and think about like that that's really going to happen. And I see all the voter for suppression. You know, Maria's right. Like, I see what they're doing in the Postal Service. I see how they're trying to, like, uh, cancel out all the poll workers and the polling sites, right? I, I see that. I see what a shit show even the New York primary was, right? Thousands and tens of thousands of ballots were not counted because for whatever reason they weren't read correctly. They didn't get stamped correctly. They didn't show up in time. I do believe that there's there's hope at the end of that tunnel and and I'm pinning my hope, you know, on Cecilia and Carolina to get us out of this mess. And I do think that white we need to push white women to come out and vote, right? They need to be much more politically active, and they have. 
but they need to continue to be out there and vote. It is not like on our shoulders, nor on the shoulders of black people, right? And, and black women in particular, right? Because if you listen to the DNC and the Democrats, right? They're really pushing for the black female vote. And the black women were like, we ain't coming to vote for you unless you put a black woman up there. And they did. You, you saw them cave. So, because if not, it would have been Amy Klobuchar up there, right? I just want to say that I don't think that it's fair to say we're pinning our hopes on people who just because they're young people i don't think that's fair to them it I don't isn't think, fair but i think it, that's what's going to happen i well, think that's really what it's going to come down to is young people don't want to vote for joe biden and so i think that's going to be the biggest the biggest downfall i, I mean they didn't I think, they didn't vote for bernie sanders either i think that we're so. being a little short-sighted here when we think thinking that we want biden to win why do we want biden to win What's going to be solved with him winning? Just that racists are going to go back into into their bunkers and prepare for, you know, the apocalypse. I mean, I don't know that there's going, yes, there's going to be a significant change or difference, right? But for now, a lot of the people that I did not realize had that type of mentality. Now I know because they've come out and they've exposed themselves, right? So what we, I think personally, like, you know, what I think is we should be planning for in these next four years what we're going to look like in that, in that next election, yeah. not, not in this one. This one's okay. lost to either Biden and it's lost to Biden. Cause what's Biden going to do? He ain't going to, I mean, he's not going to do what this particular subsection of the population wants to get done. Right. Or even the, the, the Latinx or the youth, their, their, their efforts and their uh uh, organizing is going to be see reflected after that after the four years are over right it's 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 going to so what what i what i say is let's let them win let whoever is going to win win it's going to be a shit show no matter what it's going to be a worse shit show if, if if trump wins but what are we doing what are we planning in these next four years so that the next election after that is more effective and more productive and more encompassing of people's rights and people's votes. And, and that's where we should be really focusing rather than sitting here and saying, oh, you know, look at the circus that happened at the DNC. Look at the circus that happened at the Republican convention. Who cares? You know, it's, it's, we know, but now we know, now we know whose side they're on, right? What side yeah. are you on? Well, I think also I don't put much faith in, uh, quote, white women. Because if you think about it, one of the RNC speakers last night was uh, Amy, whatever her name is, quote, the supposed, or maybe she was a former worker at Planned Parenthood, although, you know, some of the details on her story, you know, her, her mythicizing myth, myth, of that are, are in question. Yeah. But she's also, I think, the same person who, uh, I guess, they adopted a biracial son and who said she understands why he would be profiled by the police. And then also she has said that, um, I believe that she said that, that there should only be one vote per household and then the, uh, the husband or the male head of that household should be the final arbiter of that vote. So, uh, so I saw I'm that having, too. Yeah, I don't really have that much faith in, in white women, you know, because what do they do behind the curtain? Maybe they do, you know, but, but last election they didn't, you know, they, uh, they crazy. They, yeah, they, I think they stayed the, with their tribe. Yeah, one of the yeah. things that I always see is like, you know, there's like this, you know, meme basically, which is like break up with your racist boyfriend 
And it's like, yeah, you really do. Like if you are a white woman who is with and supports a racist man or your racist partner, then you are in turn also racist because you in some way are complicit in their racism. I think that happens a lot with white women is that like they'll claim that like they're learning and that they're, you know, supporting or like, you know, that they're also a minority. And so they feel some sort of camaraderie with other minorities. But then in reality, they also support the same structures of white supremacy that oppresses those minorities. And so, I, I mean, I, you know, I have hope, you know, that people are changing and that this is a learning moment, but I'm also like, you know, realistic is like, you know, how much are they going to change if we keep the system that benefits them? I don't know if it was Chris Rock or Dave, I don't know. One a comedian said that uh, about white women that that they were in on the heist, they just didn't like their cut. And there's a lot of truth to that. I'm kind of I'm kind of with Alex in the sense that I I, I <laughs> the numbers are real close, and all that Trump is trying to do is he's trying to bring out that base. And he's trying to get that sliver of votes that he got that tipped him over the top the last time. And that's, that's their strategy. And that's the, always been his strategy from day one, because he knows he, the man's an idiot, but he's not stupid. And the people around him aren't stupid. They can crunch numbers and they can look at what their strategy is. And their strategy is just, they don't care about an, uh, a pretty win. They want an ugly win. They know the only way they can win is ugly. They don't care. So they'll, take the, they'll take the ugly win. It's still in the W. They're, they're trying to run that sliver that get that, again, that angry white vote. The only hope that I see is that I think that people who didn't turn out in 2016 will turn out. And something that I heard recently on NPR that they've done some studies that, let's say, for example, right now, like people like Cecilia, people like Carolina, within that four years, there's more of them now than the older Trump supporters. There's less of them. They've actually measured it. So numerically, some of these older, angry, furious, racist, white people, there's actually less of them now than there was back in 2016. There's more now of a younger uh, demographic of color, let's say, voter. So Trump has his work cut out for him in the sense that, yeah, his strategy is to bring out that, that group again, but there's less of them to bring out. And there's more of us in a way now. Will we be able to turn out that vote? Will we be able to do that? That's where, again, it's like the numbers are close, man. We're operating on a dime. And uh, then the other thing I just want to say real quick from Maria's point is, Maria, you're absolutely right. I mean, you encapsulated like perfect. Like, you know, the only I'm not excited about Biden. I'd vote for a lamppost if it was against Trump. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, and then, and the basic the reason is, is because Trump is, I mean, all I have to say about that is that administration calculatedly and strategically put kids in cages. That's all I need to know, man. And I want you out. Like, fuck you. You know? Sorry, but that's the truth. I'm just, I don't, I don't need any more proof of any of how evil they are. So I'm just, I'm like I said, I'm just like, get that. It's like the guy who's chopping off your arm as opposed they, to the guy that might give you a, a scratch on the knee. I don't, they, they, I don't they separated the kids and then they put them in cages, which right. is probably between, the significant difference is that they separated them and then put them in cages. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know whether people know that or not, but that's, that's by international law, those are acts of genocide. Like that's an actual act of genocide by international law and the human rights conventions. I mean, that, that, there's no doubt about it when you do that to, to a community. For whatever reason. The U.S. has been so, Carlos, what do you think, though? for so long. 
Well, I mean, no. So what I what I was saying is that is that it's like we're in an emergency with this with this man. You know, it's it's that bad that I I mean I can't imagine four more years and the damage that they'll do as far as immigration and race relations and all that. So I think the focus should always be like. I don't agree with this two-party system. It's done. We need alternatives. We need to create, create parallels. We need new parties. We need new structures. We need, uh, in every sense of the word, not just politically, politically, educationally, health-wise, everything, basically create an alternative, uh, alternatives to what we have. Uh, so I think that in the, in the four years, like you're saying, we need to build those structures. We need to be like, look, you know, we're just going to deal with this now. But at the same time, and not just even just because of this election, I thought should we done it the last election and the election before that, like we should constantly be involved to the degree that we can be involved with mainstream politics, but understand it's a dead end. It's not going to liberate us. We've always said that it's not, it's not going to liberate us, you know, but we'll play the game while creating another game. You know, I, I think. And I think you're onto that, Carlos, because that tells us what's going to happen with the Democrats. I mean, if you look at the ending of the Democratic night, who was on that stage? You had three white Caucasians and Kamala, right? Where were we? You know, give me something to believe in. Throw me a bone. Throw a dog a bone, right? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the way I see it, Trump and hit the NRC are playing on fear, and so are the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Democrats are saying, look, Kukui's out after you. If you don't vote for me, Kukui's gonna get you. Ain't no future in that, man. Hey, that's all we have for today. My name is Reiner Delgado, and on behalf of the Dysfunctionals, we want to thank you for all uh, listening. Be sure to, to leave a comment on our podcast site, just search for the Reality Dysfunction on Podbean or like us on our Reality Dysfunction Facebook page. Best of all, share this episode. It is literally the gift that keeps on giving. We really want to hear from you. This is the Reality Dysfunction. Lo 
que doy le ofrezco con alegría y encanto al pueblo le doy mi canto porque al pueblo pertenezco soy del pueblo pueblo soy y a donde me lleve el pueblo voy con alegría serena canto lo que el pueblo siente y canto porque el presente no es de llanto ni es de pena Soy del pueblo, pueblo soy Y a donde me lleve el pueblo voy Soy del pueblo, pueblo soy Y a donde me lleve el pueblo voy